So one of the things I um, just want to mention, I know it will probably mention announcements later as well, but if you are a guest with us, please make sure to um, go to the Welcome Center. If you fill out a little card, we have a gift for you. And also just pass that black thing down your row and fill it out. We just love to connect with one another. And um, if you have never been to a lunch with leaders and you're here today and you want to join us, please feel free to do so. It's immediately following the service today in the gym, and um, we'd love for you to be a part of that as well. And so I have a question this morning, um, because it's true for me. Have you ever um, met your hero only to realize that they weren't all that great? Have you ever met someone that was your hero, and when you met them, you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, like for some of you, like when you realized that Spider-Man was really a pimply teenager named Peter Parker, that was a problem for you. Um, Batman really does have no superpowers, or... Superman is really Clark Kent, or is Clark Kent really Superman? I'm not really sure how that works. Um, Iron Man was pretty conceited, and that was kind of disappointing, right? What, whatever it is that you find yourself in there, okay, those are fictional characters, but, but sometimes we meet real characters, people that we actually admire, and then when we learn things about them, we're really disappointed, like Michael Jordan, or Tiger Woods, or Wilt Chamberlain, if you're older, right? People that you realize have flawed pasts. Or maybe you're like me, when I was like a I don't know, I'm going to guess somewhere between, I think I was 12 years old, 11 or 12 years old. I'm a huge Indiana basketball fan, and um, Damon Bailey, who most of you have probably never even heard of, he's an All-American, played in Indiana, um, he was drafted by the Pacers, didn't really play much in the NBA, something about like that six-foot white guy doesn't do well in the NBA, go figure, um, but he's an incredible college player, and so I was a big Damon Bailey fan, and at Kmart, this does date me, because there were still Kmarts there, um, he was having an autograph session at a Kmart. And so it was in my hometown, and so I went and waited in line. Did you know who the first person in line was? Do you know how many people were in line at some point? Like 10. Um, I waited for like an hour and a half, and I just stood in line and waited and waited. My mom just went shopping and with my sister, and um, finally it comes time for me to meet Damon Bailey. My mom went and bought a basketball, so it was about three actually for my brothers and I, so we could all get them signed, and... And um, I'm, I'm standing there in line. I'm so excited. And I don't know what to talk to Damon Bailey about, but he's for sure going to want to ask me about my basketball skills and what's going on in my life. I get up there. He starts signing basketballs. And he starts talking to my sister, who's like five and super cute. And he only talks to my sister. I mean, he might have been a great guy. He probably is a great guy. I mean, he picked the five-year-old little girl to talk to. But I was the one who was the fan. Or maybe it's someone spiritually who realized, um, I had a Sunday school teacher who eventually left his wife and kind of went off and did some stuff that wasn't great. Or maybe it was your parents, or maybe it was others, and you go, huh, these people were kind of heroes to me. But what if, what if the reality is that at some level, in some way, shape, or form, they still are people to be looked to and admired for certain things, but what we come to know is they're this, they're flawed heroes, they may have traits and characteristics and things they have done that really are worth emulating. They're, they're really good things, but overall, there are some things about them that are radically flawed, and so we would call them flawed heroes, people who fall far short of modeling perfection of what it looks like. And so I do want to say one thing today. That's, this is kind of a spoiler alert, but um, Jesus is the only perfect model. All of us should measure ourselves in relationship to him. Not one another, not other people. It doesn't mean there aren't people we can look to that give us help, that help us become better human beings or better, better mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, 
friends, coworkers, colleagues, whatever it might be, but there is only one person who's emulated what it means to be a perfect human. Does that mean, oh good, I can say I fell short, so what? Not so fast either, right? Like that's not okay either. But what we, what we see throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, is we get kind of honest looks at people. It's transparent. We see who they really are, good and bad. Because so often, right, in our world, we, we have, like mostly function through social media, and so we all look like amazing, right? There's filters you can put on stuff to make yourself look better, right? If, if you're like a bodybuilder, like they spray yourself with water and change the lighting so you look more ripped. I mean, like there's all kinds of stuff you can do. It's not real. It's not honest. It's not vulnerable. And so these next several weeks, we'll be looking at just kind of flawed heroes of the scriptures, especially people from the Old Testament. And so why? Because at the end of the day, the hope is that you and I will look, maybe not like the flawed heroes, but more like Jesus, but we might see that God uses people who are imperfect and still uses them for his purposes in the world, which is good news for you and I. And so um, maybe you'll find yourself in some of these flawed heroes. Maybe in their stories you'll go, oh, I'm not alone in this. I've been like that. But yet God still redeemed that person. It was still there for them. And so um, when I was a kid, we sang a weird song in church. Um, And if you didn't grow up in church singing this weird song, good for you. Um, Because it's a weird song. And I'm sorry for some of you made people sing this song. Let's think about this for a minute. We used to sing this song, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, left foot, right foot, right hand, elbow, whatever else, right? So I have a couple of things I want to pick on people for using this song in hindsight. Um, what if you're a daughter? Father Abraham had many sons. We didn't say sons and daughters. We said Father Abraham had many sons and you're one of them. No, no, she's not. Okay. Um, and then why all the limbs? I never got all that, but that's a whole other conversation, right? But here's, here's the reality. This story of Father Abraham, do we really know his story? And what in the world do we mean by being Abraham's sons? And do we really even want to be Abraham's sons? And so we're going to walk through Abraham's story today, and maybe you'll find yourself in the middle of his story, reading from Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. I mean, this story begins in a pretty incredible way. Here's Abram, this guy who's just a nomad, who goes from place to place, and he lives in what we would describe as a pluralistic world. Pluralistic meaning this, that, that they believed in many gods and many religions, probably not unlike even our world today. Like, we, we just believed that there were gods everywhere, and there were 
And we're just going to buy into whatever religion that makes sense for us. And yet this singular God says, I am the God, the only God. In fact, there are no other gods but me, but you are someone I'm choosing to follow me. And it begins like this epic story, right? Abram goes, cool, I'm in, let's do this. And he follows. And then God makes him this promise, it's a pretty cool promise. He says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the world. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the world. It's, it's pretty powerful, actually. And he goes on. It starts like this great story, right? Great hero story. Kind of like those epics. Um, my son and I just watched all the Lord of the Rings. Like those epic long, long movies that you try not to fall asleep in. Um, but, but it is kind of this huge story is unfolding. And it looks like Abram's going to be this great guy until like a few verses later when he gets to Egypt. And he gets to Egypt and he does something that um, I suppose rational men may do, but Abram's wife was attractive and Abram offers her to Pharaoh. I don't advise this for anyone. This is a bad idea, right? Like this doesn't go well. And so he tells, tells his wife to tell Pharaoh, hey, tell him you're my sister. Oh, okay. And so Pharaoh takes her as his wife, right? I don't need to spell that out for you. And then when Pharaoh finds out, he gets mad at Abram. Shocker. It's a bad idea. So much for Abram being this courageous person trusting God. And so my question for you and I is this. When have you and I been in a position that maybe God was leading in some particular way in our life and we were too afraid to trust that he might actually do what he said he was going to do? Do you and I, are we willing to have a faith that doesn't always make sense? Or is our faith only dependent upon our circumstances? So I would say it this way. Is God only good when we get the blessing we want? Is God only good when the blessing is how we would describe blessing? I mean, that's kind of what we see here with Abram. Like, yeah, cool. You're going to make me great. You're going to be a let me bless be a blessing to the world. Yeah, God, I don't know about this Egypt place or this Pharaoh, so I'm going to kind of make my own plans here. And then in chapter 13, we see that, that Abram kind of redeems himself, right? He becomes more like the hero, right? So there's a scene where he and his nephew Lot, they have all these herds and cattle and all these things, and they're just getting too big for one another, and they look out, and there's all this land and all this place. And so Abram and Lot go on this hillside, and they look out over everything they see. And Abram, because he's the uncle, he would have the right to say, hey, um, I'm taking all the good stuff you see right there, and you can have what's left. But Abram doesn't. He offers this kind of sacrificial view, and he says, hey, I tell you what, Lot, you pick. Do you want this area or this area? You take whichever one you want, and I'll take what's left. I'll, I'll take what's left. I, I know it's my right, but I don't need my right. Which one do you want first? And Lot picks, of course, the better-looking one, right? That's what happens there. And you think maybe Abram's starting to figure this out. Maybe he's starting to figure out. In fact, what we see next is Lot gets captured and Abram sends he and his, his warriors. They go after and they rescue Lot. And so there's this great scene unfolds and Abram gets some spoils of the war and that kind of stuff. But he realizes, he's like, no, that's too much. And so he goes to Melchizedek, this priest, and he says, hey, um, I'm not comfortable taking what's not mine. In fact, I'm so not comfortable taking what's mine. I'm going to give you 10% of what is mine. I'm going to give you a tithe of all my stuff. 
because I think you are representative of God because he is this priest and king. And so he's given this stuff by Abram because he says, I want to honor God. And I think by honoring you, I'm honoring God. And so here you go. Here's a tenth of all that I have. Huh. Maybe Abram's starting to figure this thing out. Um, he's becoming a man of honor, which is a mark of a hero. And yet what we begin to see is maybe that's not true always, but we see this next scene unfold And there's this conversation between Abram and God, and here's what it says. After this, the word of the Lord came to to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Right? By the way, did you catch? This is part of what Abram's blessing is, that he just gets to be in relationship with God. Part of our blessing is this idea that God wants wants to enter into relationship with you and I. Going on. But Abram said... Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is in Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abram's wrestling with God about what is and what isn't. Abram talked with God. And because his belief in God, it's credited him as righteousness, or just being in right relationship with God. So by believing, he enters into right relationship with God. And God, God has promised here to make his family great, more numerous than the stars in the sky. In other words, I will, he's kind of made two promises now. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to the world, and your family will be greater than all the stars in the sky. And yet, what Abraham does next makes me wonder if he's listening to God at all. Does he not trust? Does he not listening? I mean, my first inclination is to think of it in terms of this, right? Um, We all like to be blessed, but we don't always want to be a blessing. Or said differently, maybe this way. Um, We only want to be a blessing to others in the way we would choose, not necessarily in the way God would choose. Right? I will bless you, someone else. I'll bless you, you, whoever you are. As long as I get to pick how it is, and if it fits in my life, and fits in my finances, and fits in what I want to do, as long as that's true, then I'll, I'll do it. But if it requires sacrifice for me or selflessness, now I don't know if I want to be a blessing anymore, because that requires some work. And maybe there's some truth to that in Abram's story, or maybe this is more likely for him and for us. He believes in God in the moment, but as time passes, as he sees God's timing is not his own, he begins to lose faith. God, I thought you were going to do this, and you haven't. I thought you promised these things, and I'm not seeing them. God, I thought you would be this way, and you're not. And so we see this play out. Have you been there before? And so Abram's wife, Sarah, is getting older. And she's like, you know, I'm probably never going to get pregnant. This is probably not going to happen. Like, I'm an old lady now. Um, and so she says, Abram, I've, I've got this idea. I have this slave, Hagar, why don't you take her as your wife, right? I mean, they use these words like, why don't you take her to bed, and she can get pregnant, and then that could be our child. Bad idea, 
lots of reasons, right? I'm a husband of one wife, and that sounds like a terrible idea. Um, sounds like a lose-lose proposition, which we find out is a lose-lose proposition. And so Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah gets angry, she treats Hagar poorly, and then she goes to Abram and says, what am I supposed to do with this woman, this lady, this, this whore who's pregnant with your child? And Abram does what's the wrong thing again. Um, Abram goes, well, you know, she's your servant. You do with her what you want to do. So what do we learn from this? Appeasement in hard things may be easy, but it's rarely right. Appeasement in hard things may be easy, but it's rarely right. But what we see next in this story is a reminder that our past mistakes do not have to define our future. Abram encounters God again. And God offers Abram this new covenant again. This time it costs him something. And so he says to Abram, all your males will have to be circumcised. It's a way to publicly say, you are committing to me cost something. It's one thing for a child, this is a bunch of grown men. So then here's what we see next, chapter 17. God also said to Abraham, right, by the way, he changed his name from Abram to Abraham and Sarai, from Sarai to Sarah. Now I can say them easier for me. It's Abraham and Sarah, much easier than the other way. So God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? I think that's actually still possible. But Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Don't know about that one. Um, and Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. I don't know if you've picked this up, but God and Abraham have entered into a relationship with one another. There's this deep connection. It's a reminder for us that God wants to be in relationship with you and I, with us. And then we see in this story, like God says, hey, listen, I've made you a promise. I will keep my word. I always keep my word. You will be a great people, and Sarah will get pregnant. And I love that Abraham laughs, and we know that Sarah laughs too. She thinks it's funny. That's why Isaac's named Laughter. Because it's a funny story. 90-year-old women don't get pregnant. It would kill them. My grandmother is 99. I cannot imagine her having a nine-year-old. It'd be like her having my daughter. It's just not feasible, right? But this is how God works. He does what seems to be so impractical, impossible, and he makes things come true that we're going, huh, never thought that was possible. But the other thing you notice in this story is that is that Abraham, because of this relationship with God, he begins to approach God with boldness. 
Right? The next scene in the story, we're not going to read it, but there's a story where, where God says, you know what, these people in Sodom, they're just a mess, and I'm done with them. I, I'm just done with them. I keep trying to, to reason with them, tell them to come to see me, but they are like beyond depraved and beyond sinful, and it is a mess, and I'm just going to kind of start over in this place. And Abraham goes to God with boldness and says, hey, God, how about we make a deal? If I find 50 people who are righteous there, if there are 50 people, you know, you, you won't do that. And God goes, oh, okay, fair. Abraham goes, ah, okay, I know I said 50. What if we make it 40? And he goes, well, okay, 42. That works. And he goes, okay, I know I said 40, but what about 30? Deal. Okay, I know we're down to 30, but what about 20? He goes, okay, 20, but what about 10? The problem was there weren't 10. And God said, okay, you can get your family a lot, lots of family out of there. And so the point of this whole story is not what happens in Sodom. The point of this story is that God is gracious and long-suffering and loving. And he wants to be in a relationship in such a way that he'll redeem what seems to be broken. And he wants us to be in relationship to question, to wrestle, to ask God with boldness for what we long for. It's a reminder of this, that if you get nothing else today, know this. God knows us and loves us. God knows us and loves us right here, right now, where you are, what you did yesterday, even this morning. God knows you and loves you in spite of you and me. But he doesn't want to leave us there. As then we see in chapter 20, um, we think maybe Abraham's, Abraham's kind of figured this stuff out. Maybe he's got it right. And we see he goes to this new land where Abimelech is the king. And he gets there and he does the same thing that he seems to always do when he's a little bit scared. He says, hey, um, Sarah, how about you say you're my sister again? By the way, I'm thinking this lady's like 100 years old. She must be amazing. Like this is, the king wants a 100-year-old woman? But apparently, yes. So um, I don't get it. Maybe their math is poor. I'm not sure. Um, but Abraham offers up his wife to the king again, and then we see this scene. And so God comes to Abimelech and confronts Abimelech, and Abimelech goes to confront Abraham, and here's what Abraham says. Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father through not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Now, it's as if Abraham's just, honestly, he just doesn't trust God. It's as if maybe I trust God, but I'm going to hedge my bets wherever I go because God may not be the best option. There may be better options out there, and so I'm going to kind of play the middle of everything because then I'm, I'm going to be okay no matter what happens. And I feel like, aren't we often like that? We love the idea of going all in and being with in relationship to God. Like We love the idea that Jesus died for us so we can be freed from our sins and have eternal life. And we're like, that sounds amazing. And so we'll hedge our bet. We'll say a prayer one time, but we're not going to surrender everything and go all in because that, that's scary. So I'll hedge my bet. What's the minimum I can do to maybe be a Christian? We'll kind of do it. Just kind of. We're hedging our bet. We're like Abraham. We're like this flawed hero in this story. And yet what we see next is really the pivotal moment in which Abraham changes. Abraham's kind of been like this 
I mean, like, flawed hero is an understatement, right? Like, he's messed up. Offering up his wife, not trusting God. I mean, like, you know, he really is just, just kind of not got this figured out. And so then God comes to him and says this, hey, Abraham, um, I want your son, Isaac. I want you to sacrifice your son to me. I literally have a son named Isaac, named after this particular Isaac. And I'm going, oh, God, would would you really ask that of me? Would you ask that I would sacrifice my own son? And you're like, to us, it sounds so barbaric, but in the ancient world, this was a common practice. This was what the ancient gods desired. They desired you to sacrifice your own children to prove your loyalty to them as God. But this God has never shown himself to desire those kinds of things. And so Abraham agrees, and I, I don't know what to do with that, but Abraham begins going, and Isaac's old enough to walk and talk, and he carries his firewood for his own fire, and, and Isaac asks Abraham, he says, so um, where's the sacrifice that we're going to give to God? And Abraham responds, God will provide. God will provide. And I, I don't know how this happened in my head. I picture this, that Isaac being like the same age as my Isaac, is like 11, like, and I can't imagine tying him down to an altar of sacrifice at some level. I just can't imagine. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, stop. What are you doing? No, do not dare sacrifice that kid. And there's a ram in the thicket, right? And, and Abraham doesn't sacrifice his son. But the question was this. Will you surrender everything to me? Abraham is a flawed hero. The one that the father of God's people is flawed. But there are two things that keep coming up again and again that are for Abraham these massive stumbling blocks. Right? Do you know what the two things are? His fear and his family. The two things he's not willing to surrender to God are his fear and his family. We're not unlike this. We don't want to surrender our fear, whatever we're afraid of, our control. I, I jokingly said, and I don't say it lightly, right? When I, I've, I've come to believe, um, not lightly, but fully, um, there are two things, right? We, we love the idea of being Christians and followers of Jesus. We really do. Um, but there are two things that we hold back. Fear may be it. I, I don't know if it's fear. I mean, it's fear of, like, of scarcity, possibly, but, but it's our, our money and our family. I would say fear, we, we don't live in like, a world like we weren't worried about kings taking our wives. Like, that's weird, weird for us, right? But, but you're not touching my wallet, and you're not having my family. And we hold those two things so tightly. No, no, that's mine. Sorry, God. God, you can have all of me, except for this. You can have all of, all of me. Mm. I mean, like 90% of me, 50% of me. The question that, that we find in this story of Abraham is, will you trust your whole self? Will you and I trust our whole selves to God? The things that we fear, whatever the fear might be, some are rational, some are irrational. Will we trust our family? God, they're yours, not mine. I mean, he wants to, he wants to entrust them right back to us to care for it's not that he wants to say, hey, I want to take your family, I want them all to die. That's not who God is. But God does want us to say, hey, will you surrender everything that you have? Will you surrender it all to me and say, I am 
all yours. I'm all in for your kingdom. Whatever you want to do in the world, I am in. Or do we go, well, God, you can have most of me. Will we surrender our money, our jobs, our titles, our hopes, our dreams? Will we surrender these things or do we hold on to them too tightly? God is asking you and I this question. Will you, like Abram, leave everything you know? Will you enter into covenant with me and allow me to make you right? To be a blessing to the world. Will you let me bless you to be a blessing? But here's what it does require of you. Everything. I will give you free, unmerited favor, gift. That is gift of God. His grace is gift. But what he asks you and I is this simple thing. Will you go all in with me because I've already gone all in for you? Will you surrender everything? Jesus offered himself up as the ultimate sacrifice to model for us this connection that God desires to have with you and I. Abraham's story reminds us that our flaws and past don't eliminate an intimate relationship with a father who loves us. I'm going to say that again. Our flaws and past don't eliminate us from an intimate relationship with a father who loves us. But that relationship with God will never become all that it could be. Never. If we don't surrender everything. It will never be what he desires for us. It will never be the right relationship if we don't surrender what matters most to you and I. And I want to be clear, I am not saying that is easy. But I will say this, God offers us a blessing that by that we can bless the world. We can recognize in Abraham our story, like maybe you see some things in him where you're like, yeah, man, I totally would be afraid of that, or I, I totally would be like, yeah, I'd sleep with my servant, cool. Um, whatever it is that the story is that you find yourself relating to in this, but God asks a singular question to you and I. Will you surrender everything? And I gotta be honest with you, like, I, I've probably said, yeah, God, I'm all in, I'll surrender everything. Uh, multiple times in my life, because I thought I surrendered it all. Only for you to realize, like, ooh, um, you meant that too. Okay, um, all right, uh, I'll, I'll surrender that too. For some of us, right, there may be like a singular moment where you, you were able to let go of everything and you just did it. But for some of you, your story is probably more like mine, where it's like, every once in a while, God reminds you, hey, um, you said you'd give me all that, right? You, we, we had this conversation, you wanted to enter and come to it with me. You wanted to be blessed by me and be a blessing to the world. You said yes. You believe Jesus died for you so that you could be forgiven, so you could know salvation. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, you're holding on to this, whatever this is. So this morning, I have a pretty simple question for you to answer. It's a question I try to answer as well. It's a question that... that that before you get here this morning, I usually pray because I want to make sure I've already answered this question before you all walk in this room. It's a question you and I have to all answer. Will you surrender everything? Will you trust everything to God? Will you trust that God's love is so sufficient for you that your life can be radically changed? Will you trust everything to God so that you don't have to be living the way you have been living? Will you trust everything to God so that 
So that when we say, I surrender everything that we believe God is redeeming and restoring and making all things new, that he is also making you and I new. Will you trust that somehow your past does not have to define your present or your future? Will you trust that if you surrender everything, that God's gift of salvation, this promise to Abraham that you will be blessed to be a blessing, will recognize that's for you and I, his kids as well. But just like the story of Abraham, until we're willing to say, hey, it's going to cost me something and I'll let it all go because I trust that your gift is more than good enough. That, that is the invitation for you and I. Will you surrender everything? As we continue in this moment, uh, will you pray with me? Father, we ask that somehow you have become more real to us than we've ever known. We might recognize that in spite of our flaws and our imperfections, that you still come near to us. That there is no place we can go, no thing we can do, that your grace is not sufficient. that you offer your gift of salvation as gift, and yet if we consecrate ourselves, we give ourselves fully to you, if we surrendered all that you desire to do, a radical new thing in and through us. So may you open our eyes and our ears to whatever we need to let go of. And the great thing about this, you call us to surrender, but it's not like that we just empty ourselves and are done. It's you desire to fill us with your love and your grace and your mercy and by your Spirit's presence that we become people who are radically changed. So that maybe the words that John writes about will become true in our lives. They will know you are my people by the way you love one another. So may we be known by our love and nothing else. Father, we ask that you help us to know we are people who we may not have earned your grace, but we can receive it for free. There's no hoops we have to jump through. Your son already did that. And may we be a people who have fully surrendered to you. May it impact how we live and work. May it impact our homes and our jobs our neighborhoods, maybe the school that we're a part of, maybe we be a new voice in those places, and may we trust that your goodness is real, and may we come to know you in a way that changes everything. We pray this in Jesus' name.